one of the things that I was thinking about that I did not do very well um, is being thankful and grateful for your journey and where you come from. Because once we become Orthodox and we have found it, right, we have found the church, we have found the, well, we, the true faith, it's easy to say everything else is ridiculous. Okay, hey, welcome everyone to the Orthodox Christian Podcast. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Maria and Natalia of Perusia Press. And for everyone watching or listening, Maria and Natalia, why don't you take a second to introduce yourselves and tell everyone what you spend your time doing? Okay, well, uh, I'm Maria and this is Natalia. Um, we're here as Perusia Press, which is our company where we make Orthodox planners that are based in the liturgical calendar of the church, old and new calendar, both. Um, outside of that, we are homeschooling moms, gardeners, bakers. Um, we do a lot of work at our parish. What am I missing? Chickens. We keep chickens. Chickens. <laughs> Read when we have a second. Um, <laughs> we have eight children between us, four each. So life is very busy and life is very full. We like to cook from scratch. Um, always trying to learn new things. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. And what are the ages of the kids currently? Mine are 11, 9, 7, and 4. And then I'm 9, 7, 5, and 3, but all boys. I have two boys, two girls. Okay. So definitely in the thick of it. Because yes. We're in the trenches, as they say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, for anyone listening that isn't familiar with Perusia Press before jumping into your guys' stories, do you want to just talk a little bit about uh, how that came about and the kinds of products that you guys create? Sure. I, I like to say that it's all her fault. <laughs> it's um, all my fault. <laughs> uh, so you should, bef- as, a, as a backstory, we're, we're really good friends and neighbors. Um, and my background um, before we came to Oklahoma, which is where Prusia Press is located, um, I worked in graphic. I was a graphic designer professionally. Um, and then I stopped working and did a bunch of stuff and became a homeschooling mom and all of that. Um, and she came to me one day after we'd been friends a couple of years, probably. And she said, so I have this crazy idea. Um, do you think that you could make one um, of these planners that I have this idea for? Um, and you can probably explain what that, like what yeah, your Yeah, I was um, trained as a teacher. I taught high school English for five years and before I was able to stay home with my kids. And um, my background, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but um, my husband and I were Anglican before we became Orthodox. And in the Anglican church, there's not as much, you know, there's like, you can kind of learn not everything, but you can learn enough to feel like you have a really good grasp on the overall gist of what, of what it is. And, um, and so when we became Orthodox, I remember asking our priest, like, okay, so is there a book? Because I had my prayer book and my Bible and all of these things, like all together. And it was like this big, you know, I said, so where do we get that? And he kind of laughed at me. He's like, well, if you want a whole bookshelf, you know, then, then we can help you out. And so I was like, there's got to be like, there's, there's so many moving parts to the daily life of an Orthodox Christian. What are the feast days? What are the saints? What's the fasting? What am I thinking about? What am I preparing for? Um, I said, there's got to be a way to not put it all together, but to put enough together to where you kind of have a central location for your day-to-day life um, that's easy to go to, that you're not trying to pull five different books off the shelf. 
And then you can more easily incorporate these things into your day. And so when she showed up, I was like, oh, well, this this might be the way that we can do this. And so I that's when I approached her and said, OK, I have this idea. <laughs> what do yeah. you think? And it was very strange because it was never a can we do this? She just kind of went into what would that look like? And so she drew her version and I drew my version. And when we pulled them together, we're like, OK, those are those are workable. And then it went from there. Yeah. But yeah, so we basically all of our products, I mean, I can't say all anymore. The the majority of our products are, are based in the calendar. So everything that we do is about making um, kind of the totality of, of sort of what we consider the touchstones of, of daily life for an Orthodox Christian to be. So we include, you know, saints and, and feasts and fasting readings, uh, scripture readings, um, Prayer, you know, and a lot of our things we have room for, you know, recording that you've done your morning and evening prayers or, you know, whatever that is. Um, in addition to, you know, syncing that up with the secular calendar and the civic calendar so that we're, you know, the whole thing. If your kids have a school holiday or whatever, you can see what's on both calendars for you at that time. So it's it's the vision has always been about making things that allow us to kind of, you know, be Western in the ways, you know, and modern in the ways that we are, but at the same time bring, you know, the, the, the lived experience of, of orthodoxy and the, the things that that is made up of into kind of one column for people to be able to, to use it practically, you know, and have it be in front of them. It'd be helpful. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Well, and one follow-up question I have about that is, do you have any, um, eyes on making it a software, like a, an app in the future, or is it intentionally something that's tangible and physical? Her husband works in software, so we've we've talked about it, um, but you're looking right now at the entire company. <laughs> we are, yeah. you know, if anyone ever sends us an email, one of us is answering it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we do, we touch everything. So for us right now, it's more a question of kind of uh, where would that time and energy come from to get that done? Mm -hmm. um, we don't have any particular like aversion to it on as like no. a principle, um, but it would be a very large undertaking. And, you know, a lot of our energy right now is definitely focused into homeschooling just for ourselves. Um, but we, there's a, a really big need for a lot of um, curriculum and kind of like catechetical things for children um, which is kind of more where our energy has been focused um, in the past like year or so, mm -hmm. um, trying to to look at what that need is and how to how we could fill it um, with the time that, and the resources that we have. So right, right, so, and it seems like oh, possible. go ahead. It's possible. <laughs> okay, so maybe in five years there'll be a yeah. <laughs> on everyone's iPhone. When our kids are graduated, look for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when they're the employees in the company. That's right. That's right. And I, one thing I do also want to mention just before we jump into the, the main part of the interview is that as I was looking on your guys' website, it seems like an, another pretty significant aspect are the resources that you offer there, which are very extensive from what I was looking at. Like you've got the Perusia Press stuff, which is like the physical physical product, products, but then you've also got this um, compilation of all these different resources. And it seems like um, that's right within the homeschooling uh, wheelhouse that you guys are operating within. 
Yeah. And not, I mean, homeschooling is a big part of what we do, but it's also for families, you know, because a lot of people, you know, they might want to homeschool, but can't, or they don't want to homeschool and that's fine too. But these things are for family studies. So if you are all working all day and at school, you know, you can come around the dinner table and pull some of these things out and still help supplement what everyone is doing during the day. So, and I think people don't necessarily think about that because, you know, life is crazy. And if I'm not homeschooling, then I can't do those things. But we try to kind of make it accessible and easy for everyone. Um, so we have a lot of those those resources. Right now, most of our, our posts are just kind of lists of resources. We're moving more into um, blog type resource posts too. Um, last month, we kind of introduced a new idea that's called Life in the Little Church. And we, when we looked at our business, we saw that we really focus on three different things. We focus on the faith with our resource posts and our products. We focus on the home, the little church, as St. John Chrysostom says. And then we focus on education, whether that's homeschooling or just family, you know, education around the table. And so those are kind of the three pillars of our business. And so those are the focus going forward of what we're wanting to support, because all of those things come together to create our home life as Orthodox Christians and what we would consider life in the little church. So we're going to be doing still the resource posts, but more specific posts, maybe with activities or recipes or whatever it is to kind of expand that and give people a go-to place to be able to find these things easily. Cause sometimes it's hard to find those things. Yeah. We've most of what we've done up to now with the resources, which are mostly, you know, we have one for every feast and fasting period. Um, and then specific saints that have more, um, you know, there's a lot more uh, tradition and history yeah. and, and like activities or great stories, you know, that you can use with uh, your family. Um, but looking at, um, you know, for ourselves, it's always been kind of more of an a la carte thing because that's how homeschool works, right? It's like, I want to take something from over here and something from over here. But I think there's definitely a desire for people to have something that's more narrative or like, I just want to know A to Z what I'm supposed to be doing with this because people are busy and they don't necessarily want to craft their own curriculum from scratch for everything, mm -hmm. you know? So we're definitely thinking about kind of a, a more open and go kind of approach to the things that we're providing and, you know, influ infusing that with our own experiences as parents and the things that have worked for us. Like we'll tell you what's worked for us, teaching our own kids and teaching our Sunday school classes and mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Definitely. Yeah. And for anyone watching or listening, these things are, as far as I know, freely available on the website. So it's not like a paid subscription or anything, yeah. which is awesome. wonderful. So in terms of your guys' own journeys to the Orthodox church, uh, tell me a little bit about um, what, kind of setting you each grew up in, if it was Christian or, or not, and then how you eventually came across the Orthodox Church. You already kind of started. Yeah, so I'll start. Um, so like I mentioned before, I, well, my husband and I um, have been married for 22 years, and we got married very young, 19 and 20. Um, and I had been raised in a Roman Catholic home. Um, and he had been raised uh, different stripes of Protestant. When we got together, he was Presbyterian. And so we were trying to find a middle ground because um, I, I always like to joke, he was very romophobic. I took him to church and he was like, no, this is not church. And then he took me to church and I said, no, this is not church. So we had to find kind of a middle ground. And his parents at the time had just started going to an Anglican church. Um, it was a small continuing, uh, what they would call a, a very conservative um, Anglican jurisdiction. And he started asking questions and getting got some good answers. And so he was very interested in it. And um, we went for a few years and we were um, confirmed 
in April, married in May, and off to seminary in July. <laughs> so it was a very whirlwind kind of thing. And he went to seminary for um, two years, and then we moved out to Oklahoma to serve a parish here in Tulsa. Um, and we got our graduate or our bachelor's degrees during that time, and were able to go to England and do all of these wonderful things. Um, and once we graduated, he was going to kind of settle down into his ministry, and he was really had been interested in orthodoxy as kind of um, just an observation kind of thing, you know, uh, just as as part of a historical church. Um, as Anglicans, we viewed it as like the Orthodox, the Catholics and the Anglicans were these the, the parts of these, this three legged stool that was upholding um, conservative Christianity or traditional Christianity. And um, and so he he thought, well, you know, in Anglicanism, we always said we were the via media, the middle the middle way between the Orthodox and the Catholics. And he said, you know, not that he was thinking we were going to change all of these things, but um, let's talk, get some friends in the Orthodox Church, some dialogue going on because nothing's going to happen if we don't talk to each other. And so he did, and this was the time back. Uh, this dates me, but in Yahoo forums um, when that was happening. And so he befriended some um, Western Rite Orthodox Christians from uh, some priests. Um, they might have been monks. I'm not sure, but they were in Texas and uh, just started having some conversations. And it, it got a little tense after, you know, a bit. And um, let's just say there were some very eye opening statements that the that the Orthodox priest said to him that kind of knocked him off of his stool um, and about where the Anglican church stood um, in terms of the Orthodox church. And he, you know, kind of said, well, why do they think that? And that's the slippery slope. Why do they say what they say? And within six months, we were leaving the Anglican church to become Orthodox. And it was very strange. I was totally on board um, because it, it was for theological reasons and everything that he said made sense. So I was okay with it. But I was a little freaked out because I didn't know anything about the Orthodox Church. I had never set, set foot inside of one. He had been a couple of times when we were in California. Um, so the first time that I stepped foot inside an Orthodox Church was after I had already left the Anglican Church to become Orthodox. And so it's kind of a it's kind of a backwards thing. You know, usually you go test things out to see if you like it. But it was very much because it was for theological reasons. I just said, well, I hope I like it because there's nowhere else. You know, this is the end of the road. There's nowhere else to go from here. And um, we we found this wonderful parish and wonderful priest and wonderful community. And we're, we're very, very thankful. And um, so we've been Orthodox now. We, we converted in 2009. So it's been about 15 years. Okay. Okay. Um, and for yourself, Maria? My story is different. Um, my husband and I have also been together for about 20 years, but we were both, he was baptized Catholic as a child, but he wasn't really, it was very kind of nominal. They call it CEO Catholic in the, in the church, you know, Christmas and Easter only. Um, Cheesters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then I was raised completely secular. Um, my parents, my, my grandmother was raised um, Plymouth Brethren. And so she kind of had a little bit of a church background. And my dad kind of went to a Baptist church when he was a kid, but it wasn't a really big part of their lives. And um, my parents had a personal policy that um, we couldn't act to like commit ourselves to a religion until we were 16. Because my parents felt like after that, you could kind of, you know, make a decision that would last. Um, but they themselves, it was not a big part of our lives. So um, I had a lot of friends growing up that were Mormon. I was in a very Mormon-centric community. Um, and then I went to a Catholic university. 
um, which was Jesuit. So there was still Latin mass and um, tons of theology. I mean, you could study anything that you wanted. Um, but my husband and I both, it was kind of the, the theological parts of it were more, um, you know, like systematic, you know, we were just as an academic discipline, we were interested in theology and it wasn't really a religious thing. Um, and then, you know, sometime after we were married, we were married in um, 2009. Um, we both just had this kind of weird calling. Like we both felt like we were being pulled toward church. Um, we didn't have a specific church that we felt like we were being called to. We just kind of felt like we were being called to go check this out and see what that was about. Um, so we were Quaker for a little bit. We attended a Quaker meeting. Um, and then we attended a Lutheran church for a little while. Um, but it all kind of, you know, we liked it and we loved the people that we met and we had really great experiences, but we weren't, you know, we hadn't really like joined anything, you know, it was very kind of exploratory. Um, but we had friends, a lot of friends um, that we kind of picked up along the way that um, were Orthodox. And so we were like, well, you know, let's check it out. Let's find out what that's about. Um, and our first service was a pre-sanctified liturgy uh, on a Wednesday night. Um, and that was kind of it. You know, from that point on, we were like, well, this is pretty great. Um, and we went to our closest church was Rocor. So we were baptized, catechized and baptized in a Rocor church. Um, and then we wound up, um, because of my husband's job, we had to move. So we then attended a Greek church for a while. And then we were at an Antiochian church for a while. And now we're part of the OCA. So um, I am kind of unique. You know, a lot of our parish particularly is made up of a lot of converts. Um, and most of them, this is the only parish that they've ever experienced or one of our local parishes. You know, like this is the only place that they've ever been. Um, and we've been fortunate to see, you know, um, we were baptized, we're from Los, my husband and I are from Los Angeles originally. Um, so we've, you know, attended like tons, we've been able to see kind of all of the expressions of orthodoxy. We've seen Serbian churches and Ethiopian churches and, you know, all different kinds of things. So it's, it's an interesting experience, you know, being like old calendar to new calendar, the spectrum of new calendar, mm -hmm. um, and kind of seeing all the different, um, ways that people can and are orthodox in this country. Mm -hmm. And let me see, we were baptized in 2014. So going on 10 years now. Okay. Well, it's interesting that in terms of the two stories, um, Natalia, you joined it in 2009. Maria, it was in 2009 mm -hmm. that you felt drawn to the church and then yeah. you've been married for about 20 years. So there's yeah. these interesting I call this between the time in different ways. That's yeah. right. I know, we didn't know so, that. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> One uh, follow-up question for each of you, um, for yourself, Natalia. Mm -hmm. How would you um, characterize or like compare and contrast? Because you've been in a Roman Catholic church, you've been in an Anglican church, and then you joined an Orthodox church. So mm -hmm. I'd just be interested if you have sort of a, a broad overview of some of the things that are different between those traditions of Christianity. Yeah. And then... Uh, for Maria, one question I had for you is just to delve a little bit further into that turning that you and your husband experienced and what it was that uh, changed, like what did it mean that you felt called towards something? How did that um, manifest itself in concrete terms in your guys' lives? And then what was it about the Orthodox Church that um, made it stand out in comparison? But maybe we'll start with you, Natalia. 
Yeah. Um, so when I was growing up, we were those CEO Catholics that she was talking about. So um, it was very interesting because we went as a family until my parents uh, separated when I was about 14. And once I got my driver's license, I would go on my own. And I didn't know much about the faith. I just went to um, to mass. There wasn't really a community too much um, that I was a part of, but I felt like I needed to be there. Like there's something here that I'm supposed to do like this kind of intimate draw. Um, and so once my husband and I started dating our senior year of high school. And so once like that was only a couple year period that I was going on my own. And once we started dating, um, he was much more um, strong in his stronger in his faith than I was because I had, you know, being Catholic, sometimes we don't talk about our faith. It's a very uh, private thing, um, our relationship with God, or maybe there wasn't as much um, training as I had hoped. You know, I went through a class when I, you know, in order to get first communion when I was in second grade, but that was the amount of learning that I had had. And so he really led the way uh, with questioning and, and opening me up to be able to explore um, when we became Anglican. And so that was a big blossoming time for us. Um, I think for me, especially uh, to open up and to, you know, read the scriptures and to go to classes and to ask questions. And as far as the Anglican church um, goes, you know, there are a lot of strides of Anglicanism. And we were a part of a small group, um, like I said, that was very traditional. And um, it was beautiful. It really was. The songs were beautiful. Um, it felt very home-like. Um, and, you know, I learned all the songs. I learned, you know, I could tell in the mass what was going to happen. And I felt that I had a really good grasp on the theology, what we believed um, to a certain extent. It gets a little squishy. There's a lot of kind of difficult things with an Anglicanism that you have to make some logical leaps sometimes to, to do, but we were, we were working through that. Um, but then when we became Orthodox, what I realized is that the depth is the, one of the biggest differences for me, because um, as my husband would say, you know, when you're in the Protestant um, faith in the, in the Anglican church, in order to feel like you're closer to God, he felt like he had to go into the ministry um, you know, you need to be a priest in order to kind of reach that level. But within orthodoxy, that level, that depth is available to all of us. And really, you can spend your whole life as a layman, and that learning is never going to end. And if you want to go deeper, there's always a deeper. And so that was a very humbling experience for me, because I thought, I know, you know, everything about the, the liturgy, and I know this theology, and I know, and I know. And then I became Orthodox. I became Orthodox, and now I'm I'm an infant again. And even 15 years later, I'm still an infant, and realize that I know nothing. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to be because you realize that God's not in a box. You know, we can't put him in a box and say, okay, we know all of this. You know, um, there's just so much to learn, and and that's the exciting part, I think. And and to change, and you know, I think about 10 years in. There's kind of this period that a lot of people I know hit um, in Orthodoxy where you, you've you learned the songs, you've learned, you kind of have an idea of, of the services, you kind of get how, you know, you're getting all of these practical things and then you realize, now I have to deal with the real stuff, you know, and so that's kind of where we are dealing with, you know, what does this actually mean for my soul and 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 really converting it, it's a lifelong process that conversion you know but even 10 15 years in i feel like we're just getting started on that part so 
I mean, yeah, well said. that's, I think that's definitely true. I think that, you know, I, somebody once told me like an older convert, you know, that they didn't feel like until they were seven to 10 years in the church that they even felt like they had been there at all. Um, I think that's definitely, yeah. that's definitely a true experience, which is, you know, you, on one hand, you want to tell people that. And on the other hand, you don't want to discourage people and be like, you know, you can do this for a really long time and not feel like you're getting a foothold anywhere. Um, but then, I mean, I suppose there's probably people that also, you know, make, do things differently than we did them and, yeah. and have a different experience. But there's so much to learn. It's not like you're not learning that whole time. Yeah. It's just that the learning changes, right? That experience changes and your focus changes from, I need to learn all of these songs and all of these prayers and, you know, to, to other things. And so it's good. Thank God. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's the, the variation is really refreshing. Like um, I use an app this, this put out by the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese to pray in the morning and in the evening. And it's really wonderful because if you're just trying to do that on your own without the technology behind it, you'd have to compile all these resources. Like you're yeah. saying a library of books, sure. but when you have it um, synthesized in an app, the wonderful thing is that you can just come to it and, and pray. Obviously, it's better if you can go to a church and pray with other people, but sure. it's not always possible. And it's it's so wonderful to have the variation because of the rich history of orthodoxy. And so that is something that's different from um, different forms of Protestantism, where even if you have set prayers, matins or morning prayer is sort of the same thing, morning by morning. And maybe the scripture verses will change that you're reading, but by and large, it's the same uh, formula, which is nice in terms of accessibility. But in terms of uh, the long run and the long game, it is nice to have something that's got some variation because each time that you pray as an Orthodox Christian, if you're praying the same prayers as what's going on at the church, there is so much variation that it always keeps you engaged, which mm -hmm. I think is a very positive thing. Yes, it can be. And, and that's kind of, you know, one of the we have a parish that has a lot of small young families. There's a lot of people um, in our situation where you have a lot of kids at home and we have a lot of homeschooling parents and the kids could overthrow us. They just oh, don't realize it yet. So many. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I, our priest once pretty early on when we came here, um, you know, pointed out like, yes, it's one, you should come to church as much as you can. That's great. That's wonderful. We should all do this, but you spend more time at home. You know, you are going to be at home with your kids more than you're going to be at church, even if you come to every service that we have during the week. Right. Um, and I think that was part of the impetus of what we do is mm -hmm. that, you know. The longer that you do this, especially you see most of your formation is happening, like the, the times that you have to enact the things that you're praying for or practicing in the liturgy, most of that is happening at your house or in line at the post office or whatever. And that was part of what we're interested in doing is making it possible for your home to be a little church for, you know, us to not have, you know, ordinary time and sacred time that right. you bring those things, try and bring those things together, or at least make tools that that make it easy for people to make that jump, right? Like, well, we're not big fans of trying to tell people to do everything. Don't mm -mm. do it. Don't do everything. <laughs> you know, yeah. pick the things that are meaningful that you can do really well. Um, but we try to give people the raw material that you could just be like, I'm just going to open the book and I know what my scripture readings are and that's what I'm going to do to like really do something meaningful 
for my spiritual life today. Um, so I think that's that that little the little church part of it is a really important thing for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Maria, for um, your own journey, uh, talk a little bit more about what that turning towards God or that sense of wanting to be engaged on a regular basis with the church looked like, what changes occurred at that time, and then what was it about the Orthodox Church that attracted you in a way that made you feel like you had found something permanent? Um, well, we were at the time we'd um, moved out of town and back to my in with my grandmother to help take care of her. She um, didn't want to go. She wasn't ill. She was just getting older and couldn't really manage her her house and stuff all by herself. And so we had moved home to kind of be there with her, like assisted living kind of a situation. Um, and that's where we were when we got married. And um, I don't know, I think something about that switch and we kind of had to there was a lot of upset in jobs. There just wasn't a lot of continuity at that point in our lives. And we'd kind of shuffled a lot of things around. Um, and I think that that kind of opened some kind of existential door, maybe, you know, where we maybe heard something that we couldn't hear when we were busy, you know, running around to and from jobs and doing things and seeing friends and all of that, where we were kind of forced into a more, a foreign situation. Um, but for me, the actual, the thing that I remember most clearly is that every time we sat down to eat and my family was never, this was never a thing that we ever did except on Easter when my aunt would pray before we ate. But I kept having this really strong desire, desire to say grace before we ate. Um, and it was like a, to the point where I almost like couldn't stop myself from saying, you know, Lord, thank you for this food before I ate it. Um, which for me is weird. I, that's not just... I don't generally uh, spend a lot of time just, you know, I, if I'm going to say something, I'll just say it, you know, like, <laughs> um, but um, so that for me was the primary thing. And it took me a really long time to talk to my husband about it. Um, I say really, it was probably like six months, but it felt like a really long time um, because it was so strange. It was such a strange thing. Um, and then he, I won't talk his experiences, his own experience, but he'd had a very serious and frightening experience that made him really sort of reckon with God as a real, not an abstraction. It's like, God is real. Um, and I need to do something about that in my life. Um, and so we both, when we finally talked about it, we were like, I mean, I guess we should find, you know, we should look at this and like find what we're supposed to be doing and like see what the experiences are and like what the avenues are that you do this. Um, and for him, I know he's very like the, the, the liturgical part of it was very important. You know, he had a very strong connection. Um, his, his great grandmother was, um, Irish, Irish Catholic, and he had a very strong connection to her through that, like very strong sense memories of like what a mass is like and what, church sounds like and feels like. Um, so I think for him, he can't be Catholic again, but I think orthodoxy felt closer for him. You know, it had that same physicality and that same experiential part of it that really felt like a presence. Um, and then for me, I mean, I remember we walked into our first liturgy and our friends took us um, and it was at this little church in Ventura, um, St. Herman's, hi, Father Paul. <laughs> um, and we walked in 
And the way that the church was positioned, the sun went down, you know, facing east, right? But the, there were no buildings behind the church. So when the sun went down, the whole altar and all of the icons literally lit up because you had full Western golden sunlight coming in. And we walked in and it was just like the timing, right? And we just kind of got our, got situated. And then the whole church lit up in front of you. Um, and it was so beautiful and moving um, in a way that you just don't get, you know, walking into like a Protestant church where not to, not to besmirch Protestants, but you know, it's white walls and we're here for a specific thing. It was a completely different, um, way of encountering God in a church than anything that I'd experienced before. And I think that that was kind of what made me feel like, I think we need to see what what's in, what else is in here? What's, what's this experience about? If you two had to uh, summarize the reasons why you decided to join the Orthodox Church after encountering that, you've kind of mentioned some of these already, Natalia and, and hinted at them as well, Maria, but if you had to you draw it up into a list and say, here are some of the main points that we found in Orthodoxy or the things that we decided to cross the bridge with, um, what would those be? I mean, for me, I think as far as the actual, it, it's kind of funny because we converted for one reason, but then we found other reasons after, you know, but as far as the conversion, the process for us, it was the historical facts of the Orthodox church being the true faith, that being the church from the time of the apostles with no breaks all the way through. Um, and not only that, but the, the living tradition of the church and the fullness of the church and what that means. Um, because every break that you have, you know, takes things away. And so this was, you know, the first, like when we were Anglican and learning about um, the idea of the invisible body of Christ being, you know, we, we're all, we're all different oh, on the outside. All of our expressions of our faith are all different, but inside we're all one, right? We're all the body of Christ that that was not invented until you know, the Reformation, that that was not an idea that, you know, there was one church, there was one body of Christ, it was not split until it was. And then even after that, the Catholics thought they were the, the church, the Orthodox said that they were the church until the Reformation, and that kind of even split more. So for us, that kind of, you know, idea of, you know, the church was in existence for 1500 years before Protestantism even was on the front, we needed to look at that. Um, and, and it was very simple, you know, there's not much more to that. Um, but, you know, 1500 years is a long time and, and a lot can happen and a lot is continuous and a lot is established in that time. And the father's right during that time and teach us during that time when everything is still one. And so our whole thing was, we need to, to go there. We need to be there where everything is still one and everything is still continuous and the, the fathers are still teaching and that's not um, broken. So that was the main thing for us. I think for me, it was really, you know, holding space for mystery um, in the church because, you know, I'd done a lot of, um, I was curious, right, about Catholicism and theology and all of those things. Um, and there's something very appealing um, from an academic perspective about Catholic theology. You know, it is very tidy. and um, you know, you can really appreciate that. But I think that after we had 
well, I mean, we were, <laughs> I was going to say trying to be Christian for a while, but I think, you know, that's not really true. Like once you decide that this is the path that I'm following, like I'm following Christ, like you are a Christian, right? You just have to figure out where you're going with that. Mm -hmm. um, so once we had kind of been inhabiting this for a while, um, the allure of the tidy academic theology kind of wore off because then, you know, you have hard stuff happen. Um, and theology is not always the most reassuring or helpful part of that. You know, you need an actual living presence. You need, um, you know, there's that wonderful um, Metropolitan Callistos um, quote, like, faith is not the assurance that something is true. It's the assurance that someone is there. Um, and I felt like there was a space in orthodoxy for that kind of, well, we just don't know, but God's like, God's there and there there's access to it, but you don't have to be able to enumerated in a list. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that um, unusual and very compelling. And that was, I think, the thing that was like, this is where I need to be. Um, and I think the longer I've been in the church, I think, you know, one of some of the things that I really appreciate, I, I mean, the saints and the Theotokos are so important. Um, and the thought of, you know, if we ever, you know, move somewhere where there wasn't an Orthodox church, right? like the thought of not having that avenue, not having the witness of the saints to lean on or not having the Theotokos as an intercessor or a, a presence in, in life would be really difficult after having been inside the church. You know, it's really that, I mean, that's like, it's a heartbreaking thought to me to, to like, if you were to lose that. So yeah, it really feels like you're joining the family of Christ. When yeah. you think about the Theotokos and you think about all of the saints that you put up in your home, become part of your family and you learn more about them every day. But it's like, this is the real family of Christ. And it's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, and that was, I mean, from the beginning. So my, my patron is um, St. Marie of Paris. And she's my patron because, so we were in Rocor. So this is all old calendar. So everything is, the dates are all different, you know. Um, but while we were in the lead up, we wound up being baptized, I think, sooner than our, our priest would have. But um, I turned out I was pregnant and he was like, well, we're just going to do that before, <laughs> you know. Um, but in that lead up period where we were finally like finishing out our catechism before our baptism, she just kept appearing in my life in ways like people that were not orthodox, you know, like a book would pop, somebody would be like, is this your book? And it would be a book about mother Maria or like just these weird things where she just kept showing up in unexpected ways. Um, and I really just, I loved her and I was like, yep, I'm going to be Maria. Um, and then, you know, we weren't at that church for, I don't think like eight more months before we, my husband got transferred and we moved and then we wound up on the new calendar and lo and behold, guess what mother Maria's feast day is my birthday. Your birthday. And oh, I, nice. Yeah. Because it was the old calendar. Like I didn't know, I didn't do the math, you know? Um, so it just, you know, there's all these weird things that have happened. And, you know, once you've been Orthodox for a while, it's like, you don't even necessarily think about them anymore but these weird things where the saints pop up in your life in ways that you don't even recognize them being there until later. And you see it and you're like, holy cow, you know, that, that really happened. <laughs> yeah. Those things are, are very strange. That's uh, it just reminds me of a story. Like when my wife and I were coming into the Orthodox church, the day that we decided to 
join it officially, not in the sense of being like rebaptized or chrismated, but in the sense of like, yes, we're going to continue in this direction was the day St. Maximus the Confessor is commemorated. And then also similarly, it's not right on my birthday, but my birthday is January 22nd and his uh, Saint's Day is January 21st. So mm -hmm. it was another one of those strange kind of things. Yeah. So did either of you um, have any challenges either initially when you joined the Orthodox Church or when you were exploring it that you had to overcome? But also now that you've been in the Orthodox Church for a good period of time, what are some of the challenges that you've had to face along the way as well? I didn't have any familial challenges, really. Um, I know a lot of converts who are from, uh, you know, heavily evangelical backgrounds deal with with that difficulty with their families. Um, and I can imagine that that's really hard. <laughs> my family, a lot of them still don't understand that my husband's not a priest anymore <laughs> and that he can't do priestly things for them. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of an odd, like we have to explain that, you know, that that doesn't, that that's not the same thing. Um, so that's, that's just kind of a funny thing. Um, but our challenge was a heart challenge because we left an entire parish of people. Um, so it's, I know it's a very different situation than, than most um, upon their conversion, but um, it was an immediate, you know, we weren't, we didn't have contact with them after. And so, you know, when you are uh, the priest, uh, he was an assistant priest, but when you're kind of in that leadership role in a church and, and the people are amazing and you love them and they're like your family, we were, um, married, but we didn't have any of our family in Oklahoma. It was just the two of us. And so they became our family. Um, we would spend holidays with different parishioners and things like that. And really to cut that off, um, was very painful. Um, and we still, we, we've been able to be in contact with some people, but there are still some that, you know, none of, and, and we weren't really, we weren't able to explain what was happening. And so I think that they're probably, they felt betrayed, I can imagine, you know, because we were there one week and then we were, you know, we were gone. Um, so I think for us, that was the hardest um, thing. Um, we were able to kind of talk to some people and get the word out about what had actually, you know, happened. And so that made us feel a little bit better. And, um, you know, but as, but then, you know, the conversion after that, it was, it was pretty smooth. Um, a lot of my family, um, my, I have two brothers who are, are not really religious. So they still kind of poke at me like, you're boring now. You're, you know, all these things. And, and so, you know, but that's just, that's just brothers, you know? Um, so, but we didn't have any like challenges other than that, except for, uh, you know, kind of the, the 180 that you do with your life when you become Orthodox. Um, and then the challenges with our, with our friends at the parish. So. Um, I mean, I don't think that we had any, we didn't have really have any exterior challenges. Um, you know, we were, you know, well into adulthood and, you know, my, yeah. pa my parents had all always kind of, um, they've always been very, um, except like my parents are very accepting of, you know, like you've got a good head on your shoulders and we believe that if you think this is the right thing for you, then, you know, we support you until we're, proven wrong, you know, and that that's very, you know, that's a very nice thing. They're not antagonistic toward religion at all. So um, that's been, you know, the family thing has been fine. Um, I think if my grandmother had lived longer and actually come to church, it might've 
been more of a thing for her because that just, she would have been very confused, I think, but um, I don't, was never really a problem. I think the biggest funny story, I don't know if I ever told you. So when we were baptized, the church that we were baptized at was Russian. Like there were two altars. So um, the main altar, obviously they sp spoke church Slavonic, but they had a secondary altar that served a really early liturgy in English. And they had a priest that just spoke English and he was the one that catechized and baptized us. Um, but it's a very ethnic parish. So there are not a lot of adult converts that go through there. It was not a, a church that most of the baptisms that they did were babies. So the only font they had was the baby font on like with, you know, the, the pedestal on the bottom and everything. So when we were baptized, we had to use a ladder to climb up. Into the <laughs> you sat in the baby font? Yeah. So that was the only font they had. That's I mean, funny. it was big enough, but you had to like really squish. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. So it, was, it was, I mean, it wasn't like an extra large baby. It was like a, a very big baby font. But, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> my baptism involved a ladder. That's probably the <laughs> Speaking of challenges. Probably some symbolism there if we think about yeah. it a little longer. Definitely, yes, definitely. Yes. That's funny. So um, after the, the two of you joined the Orthodox Church along the way, have there been other things that you've had to uh, wrestle with or overcome? Like I know for some people, um, it can be a bit of a challenge to get used to some of the Orthodox cultural things that might be different at different parishes and uh, new to them based on what they were raised with. Um, or sometimes there's theological things that take a little bit of time to get your head around or like the hierarchical structure of the church, which can be a little bit different than other um, walks of life. Mm -hmm. Any of those things that were things that you had to wrestle with? I mean, I think that for me, the biggest one was realizing that really nobody is paying attention to you when you're in church mm -hmm. um, because I felt so awkward, you know, like, crossing myself or doing those, you know, like, am I doing things at the wrong time? Is this like, what am, am I not doing something I'm supposed to be doing? You know, you feel so much um, like wrong, like you feel wrong, right? Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this thing. Um, but really, really nobody's looking at you. And even if they are looking at you, they remember what it was like for them probably. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, you know, go you, yeah, you know, I'm, pull, yeah. I'm pulling for you, yeah. you know? <laughs> Um, but I think that, that one took me a long time to really stop feeling awkward, you know, like physically awkward. And like, I was screwing everything up all the time. Um, I think the ethnic thing mm -hmm. I thought was going to be very hard for me because I didn't understand the landscape of, of Orthodoxy in America. And so I assumed that all Orthodox churches were, Russian or Greek. Actually, I didn't even know about Russian Orthodoxy. I don't think like I was, I just had no idea. I, I really was thinking probably Greek or like, you know, Antiochian or something like that with a, with a strong um, kind of homogenous ethnic background. Um, and so honestly, I think for me, the biggest challenge hasn't been necessarily being in church. I mean, we're mostly converts, but we're from all, we, we're a melting pot here at this church, which is so beautiful. Um, we just had celebrated our 20th year anniversary and we had, uh, it was a celebration of the cultures that are represented within our parish. And so we had food from all the different cultures. We had music and songs from all the different cultures and you don't get that in an American church normally. So that was really beautiful. Um, I think for me, the, one of the more difficult parts has been through our business, learning about 
all of the differences in the church. And I mean, it's not a, a challenge that most Orthodox Christians are going to have to deal with. They don't have to reconcile two calendars and three different lectionaries and, and all of these things, but to wrap our brains around what that is. And not only that, but the cultures that, or the traditions that do come from the different cultures. And when we talk about these traditions, you know, for the Russians, oh, well, the Greeks do something completely different. And just so it's been, it's been beautiful and great, but challenging to wrap our brains around you know, oh, well, we'll put that in, but the Greeks don't do that or the Russian, you know, and, and so, um, but I think hopefully, you know, orthodoxy is orthodoxy. And even though we have these cultural expressions and these ethnic traditions, that what we do introduces things that people may not have known before because it's not part of theirs, um, but that they can still do and bring in because it's, you know, it's beautiful and, and wonderful ways to bring, you know, our faith into our little churches. Uh, but that's been... <laughs> It's been very eye-opening. <laughs> and so that's probably mine. I didn't have a problem with the structure because I've only been in liturgical parishes. So um, I have a problem remembering all the names of the vestments because I had them all memorized <laughs> in the Anglican church. And so uh, that's always fun on Sunday school day, trying to relearn with the kids what all of the different names are for all of the different things. Um, but as far as that, you know, I, I remember being very worried about learning the songs when we first converted, because like I said, I knew I had known all the songs before. Um, and our now deacon, he was not ordained when we first converted. He said, don't even think about it. He just said, be in church. And in a year you'll be singing along and you won't even realize it. And I thought, yeah, right. Everything is completely different. And sure enough, a year later, maybe not even that long, you know, you're, you just, you are there and you be, and, and it absorbs and, and you get it. So yeah. No, it does. I mean, I remember, I don't remember like a date, but I remember being in a liturgy and hearing, I was, you know, doing so I'd like looked at something, there was something going on to the side and I heard the next part of the, and I knew exactly where we were, you know? And mm -hmm. that was like, Oh, that was, that's weird. You know, whereas you, know, you spend so much time with the book, you know, like mm -hmm. where, where are we now? Um, and that really, you know, it does just happen. There's just a day where you're just like, oh, right. Okay. Got that. Mm -hmm. I actually mm -hmm. tell people when they come and we see them fumbling through the little booklet, I just tell them, don't just, just be, yeah. because you spent, you know, because one of the things that was difficult is all of the parts of the liturgy that change every week, yeah. you know, cause you get, and then trying to figure out where is that versus what are the parts that are static every week? And so these booklets are helpful to a certain degree. But if you think you're reading through and you're going to be able to read everything that's being sung in a week, that's yeah, not possible. Yeah. And so I feel like sometimes those things become more of a hindrance, you know, because you're spending time trying to figure that out than just just be and just listen, you know, and then it, it comes a lot more easier, I think, easily. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. And it seems like with those sorts of resources, it'd be good to read them prior or after right. to right. put some of the pieces together. But then when you're there to have your head up and just yeah. look and listen. Exactly. Um, so with uh, people that are listening, some aren't very familiar with orthodoxy. Um, so two questions. One is you talked about the different calendars and the different traditions and uh, lectionaries, the different calendars and the di yes. different lectionaries. So maybe if you just want to talk a little bit more about that and kind of explain the old calendar versus the new calendar, some of these different lectionaries, some of the sort of salient or main features of uh, those different 
ways of organizing time within orthodoxy, that would be helpful. And then if the two of you have any advice for people that are exploring orthodoxy, what would that be? Okay. Um, I'll give it, I'll give it a try in a short, in a short <laughs> format. So, um, obviously if you're, if you're unaware, um, calendars are a construct, um, in the, the civic calendar of the West is the Gregorian calendar, which is the same calendar that, um, was introduced by Pope Gregory. Um, it's bog standard now. I think most of the world uses it for business, just like they speak English for business. Um, but the Orthodox church still runs, um, on the old calendar, which is the Julian calendar, um, or the new calendar, which is the revised Julian calendar. I will not get into the there was a big kerfluffle in the early 20th century about the creation of the new calendar. Um, but essentially and there still is <laughs> the, the, the old calendar um, is 13 days different ahead. for us. It would on, if you're on the new calendar, it would be ahead. So we celebrate Christmas on December 25th, which is, you know, standard. Everybody knows that's the date of Christmas on the Julian calendar. They celebrate Christmas on January the 7th. So their dates are shifted by 13 days. So the thing to know about the new calendar versus the old calendar is that your whole parish will run on one of them. You don't have to switch back and forth. Um, and that Pascha always lines up. That's the fixed point for both calendars. And um, so the Apostles Fast is always going to be shorter on the new calendar because that's where they took the time from to make Pascha line up on the two. But if you're old at an old calendar church, then everything runs on the old calendar. If you're on an, at a new calendar church, which is going to be Goa, Antioch, and the OCA, that all is going to run on the new calendar. So you just have to stick to one. Um, it gets, if you have to switch from one to the other, it can be a little squidgy. Um, but we do both. We run everything that we do. We, we create for both calendars. Um, the lectionary is, so everything in orthodoxy is big T tradition or little t tradition. Um, and the lectionary is more of a little t tradition. So the lectionary runs in a three-year cycle where you read through the whole Bible, except for the book of Revelations in three years. The feasts and certain saints days all have prescribed readings that go with the seasons. Um, but other than that, you're running through a prescribed lectionary of readings throughout the year. The Slavic lectionary is a specific three-year cycle that has been used in the Slavic churches for many years. And the OCA uses that. And then Rokor churches, Serbian churches, Bulgarian churches use that. Um, and then the Greek uh, lectionary is used by the Greeks and Antiochians. Um, and it's the same. You're going to get the same readings. You're going to get through everything. It's just that the cycle, it runs differently. So they may have the same readings. We all may have the same readings, but this year the readings will be different, even though next year maybe they're doing the same readings we did this year. Um, so we've all, we've always used the OCA lectionary for our products just because we are much, much less likely to make a mistake using something that we are familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've always, you know, we've always pulled feasts and saints. Like if there's a specific prescribed reading that is for the person or celebration that day, we always go with that, um, to, to promote the unity because we're all celebrating the same things on the same day. Um, and it just makes it a lot easier for people to kind of, you know, focus in on this. This is the thing for today. You know, this is the the gospel that that pertains to what we're doing today. Mm -hmm. 
Is that the whole, that was the whole question about the calendar and the lectionary, right? Yeah, no, well, good answer, good answer. You you didn't get lost in the details, which is impressive. <laughs> uh, I, it, I, the math part gets really, it'll run away from me and then I get confused and backwards. So I mm -hmm. have to try and keep it simple. Um, as far as I'll do um, advice and then you can close okay. up. Um, for me, it would be, you know, A, nobody's looking at you. So like, you're fine. Nobody, we're, we, we've been there, we know, you're good. Um, and most Orthodox people are very, even if, you know, we're not, um, maybe super effusive, like not every parish you go to Orthodox people are not going to come up to you and be like, Oh, are you new? Let me help you in the way that maybe a Protestant church, you would have like a greeter or something. Um, you can go ask anyone. You don't have to just like wait for the priest at the end of the service. You know, if you're confused or you want help, um, most of the people at an Orthodox parish will be happy to help you or explain to you or help you find someone that can give you an answer um, and get you in, you know, sorted out with your questions. Um, it's just a different tone. Like the, the tone of how people are in church is a little bit different, but it doesn't mean that we're unfriendly. We're just kind of, you know, you're, th you're there for liturgy. It's not necessarily like you're, you know, trying to grab every new person that comes by and like pull them in. Um, but I would say for me, the, the biggest piece of advice would be don't worry so much about the learning part, which is kind of funny since that's kind of our mission. That's what we do. <laughs> um, but that's kind of why we do it, right? Is that you don't have to spend a lot of time memorizing if you just have one place that you can go and see it. So you don't have to like, okay, so this is going to be the feast day and I can look on my calendar for that. And then I got to go over here for my readings and I got to, you know, it's all in one place. So you don't have to spend a lot of brain power thinking about that part of it. Um, you will, you'll learn all the stuff. You'll learn all the prayers. You'll learn all the songs. You'll learn the lit. All of it will come. It just seeps into your skin. The really important part is the stuff that, you know, as you get 10 years into it and you've spent all this time memorizing and thinking like, I've got to learn how to, to do it. Um, the really important part is trying to get at, you know, clarifying your noose and, and getting the you mind. Have to say what that means. Okay, sorry. Um, the part <laughs> not, a, not a rope around your neck. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a noose. No, sorry. Um, you know, clarifying the part of your spirit that is how you can see God, right? Um, you know, get, wiping away all of the the sin and the stuff and the you know preoccupations that get in the way of that. Um, and the, you know, all of this, obviously the church sets up all these things as tools, but it's really easy to become fixated on the tools mm -hmm. and how do I use the tools as opposed to how does this change my heart? Um, and if I could go back and change anything, I would have spent so much more time being worried about how am I changing my heart and not how do I make sure that I don't screw up the creed, you know, things like that. Um, because that will all come, it will all come. Yeah. So in fairness, we discussed this question yesterday, and this is both of our answers. That part. Okay. <laughs> Filed that part together. Um, <clears throat> the getting getting lost in the weeds is very, very easy as a new convert because, like she said, there's there are so many tools. Um, the the calendars, the traditions, the books, the all of the icons, you know, how how easy it is to go spend thousands of dollars on icons when you first convert, you know, um, and you want all of it and you want it now and you want to dive headfirst into that life. And it's good. The life is beautiful. Um, but start simply 
start simply because the, like she said, that stuff, you will learn it and you will build, um, focus on that prayer rule. I would say focus on, um, on owning that, like just that, just those morning prayers, those evening prayers, own that and pray that from your heart. Um, and, and all of the other stuff will come. Um, and also one of the things that I was thinking about that I did not do very well, um, is being thankful and grateful for your journey and where you come from. Because once we become Orthodox and we have found it, right, we have found the church, we have found the, well, we, the true faith, it's easy to say everything else is ridiculous. Everything else, like, oh, they believe these things, or oh, they don't have these things, or oh, you know, and um, whether that's from a faith that you don't belong to, or I'm sorry, if it's from, if it's from the faith that you came from, or maybe one that just Protestantism in general or the Roman Catholic church. And it's very easy to start pitting one against the other. And I think that that's a mistake. Well, I know that that's a mistake because for me, um, once I became Orthodox, I was like, oh, Anglicanism, is it even, you know, all, I would just say all of these things, you know, or think all of these things about it. And part of this 10 year, you know, 10 year into it reflection is I would not be here if it were not for what I learned in those places and what I was able to get and God leading me through those places. So I don't want to, to bash any of that. Um, because you know, none of us would be here if it weren't for that. And that's the way that God chose to bring us into the church and, um, you know, pray for the people that are still there and they're on their journeys and God's leading them in a different way than he led us. And, um, it's just to be, to be thankful for that. And I think is really important. Well, wise words. And thank you so much, uh, Maria and Talia for jumping on the podcast. I really appreciated speaking with the two of you. It's been a real pleasure for me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. If people want to find you, uh, can you just give some info about where they can locate you? www.perusiapress.com. Yep. <laughs> we nice. have all of our stuff. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Um, but our, we're on Pinterest. Yes. Yes. We're on Pinterest. Um, I've been working <laughs> hard on project. Pinterest. <laughs> um, and so there's more to come. We're evolving. We're bringing out new things. Uh, we're trying to give lots of resources for the life in the little church. Um, but there's lots of free resources there for saints and feasts and fasts and, um, lots of products to try to, to make your life easier, um, and to simpler, simpler. Yeah. Not easier, simpler. That's a better word. Um, yeah. So that's where we are. Hey guys, thanks for checking out that episode of the Orthodox Christian podcast. If you want to check out more from Perusia Press, there is a link to their uh, website in the video description. Also, if you have a question about Orthodox Christianity, there is a second link to a Google form that you can check out. If you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it with one friend or family member. Or if you have not subscribed, I would encourage you to do so. And in the meantime, I hope that you have a peaceful week. Take care.